0: Morning friends, Um, please join me as we uh, we read from Deuteronomy 14 this morning. You are sons of the Lord your God, do not cut yourselves or make a bald spot on your head on behalf of the dead, for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be his own possession out of all the people on the face of the earth. You must not eat any detestable thing. These are the animals you may eat, oxen, sheep, goats, deer, gazelles, roe deer, wild goats, ibexes, antelopes, and mountain sheep. You may eat any animal that has hooves, divided in two, and chews the cud. But among the ones that chew the cud or have divided hooves, you are not to eat these. Camels, hares, and hyraxes, though they chew the cud, they do not have hooves. They are unclean for you. And pigs, though they have hooves, they do not chew the cud. They are unclean for you. Do not eat their meat or touch their carcasses. You may eat everything from the water that has fins and scales, but you may not eat anything that does not have fins and scales. It is unclean for you. You may eat every clean bird, but these are the ones that you may not eat eagles, bearded vultures, black vultures, the kites, any kind of falcon, every kind of raven, ostriches, short-eared owls, gulls and any kind of hawk, little owls, long-eared owls, barn owls, eagle owls, ospreys, cormorants, storks, any kind of heron, hoopos and bats. All winged insects are unclean for you, they may not be eaten. But you may eat every clean flying creature. You are not to eat any carcass. You may give it to a resident alien within your city gates, and he may eat it. Or you may sell it to a foreigner. For you are a holy people, belonging to the Lord your God. Do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Each year you are to set aside a tenth of all the produce grown in your fields, you are to eat a tenth of your own grain, new wine and fresh oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, in the presence of the Lord your God, at the place where he chooses to have his name dwell, so that you will always learn to fear the Lord your God. (coughs) But if the distance is too great for you to carry it, since the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far away from you, and since the Lord your God has blessed you, Then exchange it for silver. Take the silver in your hand and go to the place the Lord your God chooses. You may spend the silver on anything you want, cattle, sheep, goats, wine, beer, or anything you desire. You are to feast there in the presence of the Lord your God and rejoice with your family. Do not neglect the Levite within your city gates, since he has no portion or inheritance among you. At the end of every three years, bring a tenth of all your produce for that year and store it within your city gates. Then the Levite who has no portion or inheritance among you, the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow within your city gates may come, eat and be satisfied. And the Lord your God will bless you in all the work of your hands that you do.
1: Good morning great to be with you this morning my name is Mike lead pastor here at Toon Anglican Church and if you're new amongst us uh, or online great to have you with us uh, that was a pretty straightforward reading I'll um, just leave it at that I suppose <laughs> um, yes so today uh, we are continuing sort of a the two-part series that I started last week on following a holy God making sense of obedience and law Uh, Today, as I got changed, I made sense that in my mixed fabrics, I wasn't going to mix wool and linen. Uh, That is a Jewish law uh, and and forbidden. It's called sha'atnez. You can read about that in Deuteronomy 22.11. I had nachos last night. That's actually not okay. That's not kosher. I mixed meat and milk. Uh, Now, Deuteronomy 14 will say that you can't, uh, in fact, even in this passage, you can't uh, mix a goat in its mother's milk, um, but that became a more broader law that you can't mix any dairy with any meat, so no cheeseburgers. If you're building a new house, make sure that you put a railing around the roof so that no one falls and dies. That's Deuteronomy 22. Good to see that rule still in place, actually. Um, In fact, I I reckon that went out of vogue for a while and came back. Anyway... uh, my little garden in the backyard, uh, we planted all kinds of seeds together. That's not okay, according to Deuteronomy 22. Uh, as Christians, uh, and, and you would have noticed this in public debate, particularly around uh, sexual morality and, and marriage, uh, you know, p- people will say, why have you chosen some laws to obey and not others? And it gets really messy, doesn't it? Uh, when we ourselves actually look back at kind of, ...passages like this and almost a bit embarrassed, kind of like, oh, I didn't know that was in the Bible, that's weird. Uh, how are we going to make sense of this? Uh, as, as we look at this kind of uh, part two of this series, uh, we want to make sure that we understand uh, who God is to Israel and who He is to us. As a holy God who has guided Israel uh, as out of Egypt, uh, has called them to Himself, has humbled them. Remember last week we looked at how He humbled them and revealed their hearts... Uh, and yet still draws them into Himself according to His mercy, how does all of that help us make sense of the particularity of the laws? It's one thing to talk about obedience to a holy God, okay, we can get on board with that concept, but then when we start reading the particulars, we're like, "Mm -hmm, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, I want to give us uh, a couple of ways into this. Um, You know, some talks are maybe more inspiring than others, this will be a bit more teachy, but but I hope actually it, it helps us understand a great deal. Uh, so I'm going to try and break down uh, the way we understand Old Testament law uh, and it's sort of it's a two-part sermon in a way. So I'll be looking at the Old Covenant in, in a fair bit of detail uh, and, and I'll show you kind of a schema or a kind of way of categorizing laws uh, in that. And then I'm, in the second part of the sermon, I want to look uh, at the New Covenant and ask the question that as Christians, uh, how do we look back and make sense of the law? So I want to sit in the law to start with, make sense of things like Deuteronomy 14, uh, Old Covenant and and then I want to look at the New Covenant. Does that make sense? Great. Uh, There's 613 laws so get comfortable. Um, That's a lot of laws isn't it? Uh, I guess the first thing I want to say as we think about uh, so many laws in the in the Torah which is a Hebrew for law and refers to the first five books of the Old Testament, Deuteronomy being the climax of that. The first thing I want you to notice is that as we read through those kind of, those first five books, it's not just a bunch of rules. You'll come across blocks even like sort of Deuteronomy 14 where, where there's kind of just a slab of kind of law as it were. But, but the Torah, meaning law, isn't just do this, don't do that, do this, it's, it's a story. And I think we've seen that all the way so far, it's, it, you know, we keep going back to remember how the Lord your God brought you out of Egypt. Uh, Remember who God is and what He's done. And and as as Moses calls them to the vision of of what God is promising in the promised land. Like all of this is part of a story of a God who pursues a people for Himself as He devotes Himself to them and calls them to respond in devotion. Uh, What we see in the pattern of these first five books is that as God uh, by His own love and mercy uh, acts for the sake of His people and His own glory, people respond, sometimes initially positively, and then kind of a disobedient. And that's then followed by a sort of more law, as it were, to kind of guide them and shape them. They respond a little bit for a bit and then it goes bad, and then some more law. And so there's kind of just blocks of kind of law scattered through the story. And when, the reason why I'm telling you this is that it helps remind us that, that God is not just a kind of jump this high, do it. <laughs> He's a God who loves. He's a God who actually acts in history ...as he calls people to himself. And so we're going to keep coming back to the fact that this is, this is kind of uh, embedded within the story... Uh, the t- second thing I want to tell you before we dig in is how I'm going to break down uh, sort of thinking about Old Covenant law. I'm going to use kind of a, a, kind of a reasonably well known uh, categorization, but it's actually quite flawed. Uh, but I'm still going to use it, I'll tell you why. Uh, on the screen, you'll see three pictures under the Old Covenant, and I'm going to break down the law under moral, uh, uh, judicial, uh, and uh, civil, uh, sorry, uh, ritual and ceremony. Uh, Now, the reason why that's flawed is because that's not how the Old Testament understands itself, nor is it how Jesus or Paul looks back at the Old Testament. But the reason I am going to use it is it just helps us kind of group together some of the laws so that we can talk about them, because I don't have time to talk about all 613. Is it okay that I do that? (laughs) All right, cool. So uh, the first one I'm not going to spend a lot of time on. Uh, The first one, you know, as I referred to, the the categories, uh, moral law. Uh, What might be included in moral law? We'll do a bit of kind of, you know, just keep you on your toes. What might be included? What what have we looked at so far? I'll give you a hint. It's in the kind of graphic. (laughs) (laughs) What? What? The Ten Commandments. Excellent. Yeah, the Ten Commandments. Uh, And so a whole chunk of those, you know, particularly the second tablet, were, you know, do not murder. Uh, That's a moral law, it's part of God's moral goodness uh, and also He's calling us to live out, uh, you know, morally in in a world so that we can, and remember how how each one of those laws points to a positive thing? We want to live and kind of be confident that uh, life is good and that will be preserved. Uh, Those are moral practices and the Ten Commandments uh, were kind of the epitome of those moral laws. Uh, let's, let's dig into some, something a bit more interesting, perhaps, the civil and judicial laws. Uh, now, these, these laws uh, govern Israel as a nation under God. Uh, they have to do with uh, politics, uh, domestic affairs for the nation, uh, how they are to use the land, how they deal with debt, conflict, even war. It's really about con- it's concerned about maintaining justice. Uh, now, what, what's helpful for us to see here is if I pull up uh, Deuteronomy 16... Uh, I'm going to be using a few different passages through Deuteronomy to help us understand all this. Uh, This is what Deuteronomy 16 says, "'Appoint judges and officials for each of your tribes in every town the Lord your God is giving you, and they shall judge the people fairly. Uh, Do not pervert justice or show partiality. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds the eyes of the wise and twists the words of the innocent. Follow justice and justice alone.' so that you may live and possess the land the Lord your God is giving you." And so you can see how, how kind of the law uh, under God is kind of uh, you know, about governing fairly, uh, and there's a wisdom in it as Moses raises up all kinds of people to, to judge in all kinds of circumstances. You might remember early on in Deuteronomy, Moses refers to the time when, when kind of he was overwhelmed by everyone coming to him for kind of, you know, for, for rulings that was exhausting for him. And I think it was, was it Aaron um, or, or Aaron's uh, their father who, who kind of gave them guidance? Why don't you kind of raise up people under you uh, so that they're not all coming to you? And only the, the really big complicated ca- cases come to Moses. And in that case, you see Moses acting as kind of like a judge, but he's also... Kind of like, uh, you know, the spiritual leader of the people with his brother Aaron as well. And so what we're seeing is kind of the commingling, in a way, of the various aspects of life in ancient Israel uh, under the law of God. Uh, Other things that would fit into this category would be Deuteronomy 21, uh, what to do with unsolved murders. kind of, you know, that's an important part of of life in ancient Israel uh, as it would be in any society. Deuteronomy 22 talks about laws concerning marriage, uh, regulations related to the rights and responsibilities of spouses, Uh, all of these in the good ordering of society. Now if we're to look at our particular passage, Deuteronomy 14, uh, that last part talks about tithing. Now this is where we start to see maybe that the breakdown of of these categorizations that are imported to the text, you know, as I said, Th- this three-part division is not native to the law, it's just how we might group them to understand. Because what, what, ha- how might we understand tithing? In part, it comes under the civil judicial and maybe also the ceremonial, and I'll show you why. Uh, so for instance, uh, we have uh, in verse 29, uh, a reference to, uh, you know, the, the tithes offered are part of kind of caring for the fatherless and the widow within your city gates. And so there's kind of like a social justice component to to the tithes being distributed in the good order of society. So that kind of makes, it's a civil judicial kind of law. But it's also kind of a priestly law because the the money goes also to the Levites, uh, that is the tribe of uh, Israel that oversaw uh, the priestly duties. Um, And it was also kind of a response to the fact that God is their Creator uh, and, and Redeemer. Everything is God's and we're to give back to Him. Uh, And in that sense, it's also bound up in the kind of uh, the ceremonial aspects. And so, again, uh, I'm just trying to show you kind of how we might think about some of these laws. But just to kind of summarise this aspect, uh, the civil judicial laws were were about maintaining justice, uh, about restraining evil, as it were, or or literally if you're kind of putting guardrails on the roof of your house. uh, And there's wisdom in there for, for good living and good orderly society. Does that make sense? I, I thought this this was the one that kind of makes, you know, moral make sense, this one makes sense. You could also see quite clearly that perhaps this is limited uh, to, uh, to, the, to the geopolitical entity that was ancient Israel. Uh, that is that here is a nation in, in sort of ancient society living in a very different part of the world under a very different structure of society and they needed God's law to help them live uh, in this way. This is where it gets a bit strange, Deuteronomy. Uh, oh, you're not going to that. Deuteronomy, uh, and kind of making sense of the ceremonial and ritual laws. Uh, it gets weird because it contains all kinds of laws about uh, food, uh, sacrifices, you know, instructions about not planting two seed varieties together, not wearing clothes mixed with fabrics. But maybe just kind of a little pause here, a little humorous pause, and just a little insight to kind of you know how it looks weird to us, but also maybe we have some weird stuff going on too, Uh, let's think about this. Um, It's kind of, we don't have laws like this written down, but we have kind of like these universal rules, as it were, taboos. For instance, if you come to my house, uh, you could expect that I'm not going to feed you, like serve you dinner, in my bathroom, yeah? Uh, You you wouldn't expect that, would you? We could almost say that's a universal rule. Um, why? Because the bathroom is unclean. That's weird. Uh, but I'll tell you what's weird, while we say that it's unclean to eat food, maybe together, in the bathroom, we're very happy to brush our teeth in the bathroom, right? And not only that, but actually have our toothbrushes with the little bristles flapping around in the breeze to catch anything that might float around in there, and then shove that in our mouth. That's unclean. Uh, actually, on this topic, is anyone still using yellow sponges after last week? Because <laughs> Each week, just stick around for a bit of a hygiene lesson. Um, uh, We have a sense of what is clean and unclean. We might not have the kind of ritualistic rules around it, uh, but also for us it's not grounded in our religious identity. We, We just have a sense of that's clean, that's not unclean, but also there's just some customs around that as well, right? For Israel, the sense of clean and unclean was part of their religious identity. And the purpose of these ceremonial and ritual laws have everything to do with the holy God in the presence of a people who are unclean. Uh, part, part of these laws was making sense of the tension of that. What does it look like to be in the presence of a holy God? Now to, um, to make sense of that, we're going to dig in a little bit further because it, it does feel at times like there's a lot of arbitrariness in kind of these kinds of rules. And and we sit uncomfortably with that arbitrariness, as in kind of uh, God just says, you've got to do this because He's holy and you're not. Really? Okay, fine. Um, But we want to know that God is good and that His laws are purposeful and good. Uh, Sometimes it's hard for us to access that purpose or that framework, but we're going to try this morning to do just that. And so as an example, uh, as as we dig in, uh, let's just kind of look at the first couple of verses from Deuteronomy 14. Uh, you are sons of the Lord your God, do not cut yourselves or make a bald spot on your head on behalf of the dead. Just in case you were wondering. Four, so we do get a purpose clause here, for you are a holy people belonging to the Lord your God. The Lord has chosen you to be his Possession, own Possession out of all the peoples on the face of the earth. Okay, so we get that kind of uh, God is holy, He's called us to Himself, but what I'm trying to query here is what's the connection? <laughs> uh, and there's just, you know, this case and case and case of this, of all the 613 laws, there's a lot that look like this. Um, now, now, for us, we don't appreciate that, that the practice of, of cutting, like, uh, bald spots into your head uh, uh, out of bereavement, you know, losing someone, a loved one, that was a common practice in the nations around Israel. It was a way of drawing attention to the pain and anguish you were suffering uh, in the loss of a loved one. But, but God is saying, as the Holy One who is near you, you don't need to draw attention to that. I see it, I know it, I'm with you. Uh, Now now that's that's sort of not teased out here but that that kind of helps kind of us starting to build a bit of a framework but we're going to need to do a bit more work to understand it more generally. And so uh, I've got uh, a picture here or a table as it were that tries to help kind of outline some of the concepts here. So we have a a holy God, I've just outlined that in orange just for the sake of clarity, of distinction. Um, Holy as, as as a Hebrew word, kadosh, is only ever used in relation to God, only ever used in relation to God. There is nothing else that is holy, like apart from God. You can, you can be related or kind of, uh, you know, serving God and, 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 and by sort of, uh, you know, by relation, you're brought into the holiness of God, as it were, but holiness belongs to God and God alone, yeah? The issue is that everything else in creation is what's called common or kol in Hebrew. Uh, we are common, we are created, we are people of the dirt, so that even Adam, uh, the Hebrew for Adam, uh, means of the dirt. Uh, just make yourself feel good about that, right? Now we come in two flavors: us common people, and that is clean and unclean, pure and impure. Uh, and, and these kinds of this language is used throughout the Torah uh, to describe. Um, uh, kind of uh, what state we're in, really. Uh, now, we will often think of clean and unclean or pure and impure only by the moral lens. That is, if you do something naughty, you're going to be impure, right? Now, that's part of it. But when we're looking at the, at the ritual and ceremonial laws, it's actually quite unhelpful to, to, to import that across. Uh, and let me show you an example of that. Uh, so... Oh, that's getting pretty small, but here we go. How's, how, this is like an eyesight test. Um, numbers 9.19, whoever touches the dead body of anyone will be unclean for seven days. Who's done something wrong there? Nobody. Like, dying is part of life. Uh, and, you know, as, as you kind of, you would gather around as a family of a, of a deceased person, in the presence of a, of a dead body, you're made unclean. That's not wrong, it's just but that's what Numbers are saying. Leviticus 12, when a woman becomes pregnant and gives birth to a child, she'll be unclean seven days. By no means has the woman done anything wrong there. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, Leviticus 13 uh, is eight verses of, of kind of listing the details of what to look for in, in spots and rashes and whether there's a hair or kind of a spot or what it's kind of very detailed uh, about defiling skin diseases that make you unclean. And if you have one of those, you know, for instance, if you wake up in the morning, you've got a bit of a rash, that's not your fault. You might have just brushed up against something or kind of, I don't know, whatever, Uh, but you're made unclean uh, according to these laws. So what does that mean? (laughs) Uh, Just to go a little bit further again, we couldn't help but notice in Deuteronomy 14, all the kinds of uh, laws about unclean foods and clean foods. Uh, It's not that some animals are, are evil it's just that there is this division of clean and unclean. Uh, How are we to make sense of this? Well, many of these laws uh, in this category are about reminding the Israelites that they are constantly living at the border of life and death, as mortal creatures, dependent on God who is holy. These laws establish rituals and customs that give an opportunity for ancient Israel on a daily basis and in everyday life to have their imaginations shaped by what it means to be both common and made in the image of a holy God. Do you see this? They're kind of, it's actually part of a kind of, it's a practice. It's something that they're inhabiting. It's not that go, oh my goodness, I can't believe I'm unclean again, I have gotta go through all that stuff again. It's like, yes, I'm reminded I am, I'm a dirt person and and, and I'm also called kind of in the image of God to to, to be in the presence of a holy God and as I'm reminded of that, what a privilege it is uh, to to be called into God in this way. Uh, We have all kinds of formational practices uh, that we do, Uh, it could be your exercise routine, uh, it could be kind of, you know, you, you, you've got a menu through the week of, of different things to eat. What, what, like, whatever you're doing, you're putting into practice. You know, it could be your, the way that you, your alarm goes off in the morning, uh, you do some quiet time, you have coffee, you read the paper. That's part of things that are important for you and are forming you. That's what these are about. They're forming ancient Israel into an understanding of who they are and what it means to be drawn into the relationship uh, with the Holy God. Now, remember, this uh, these are all grounded in the story. These laws laws are part of the story of God's love, calling people to Himself. Moses knows their hearts, and as he as he preaches this sermon, full of reminding of the law, framed in the story of what has happened, calling into the promises of God. Uh, Moses also feels the weight of these laws, as good as they are, as formational as they are, he feels the weight of them because he's not particularly optimistic that it's going to go well for Israel. He says in the end, uh, chapter 31, verse 27, Moses says, "'For I know how rebellious and stiff-necked you are.' Remember, stiff-necked is kind of a description of someone who's stubborn and stuck in their ways. They can't, they can't turn and kind of respond to God's leading, as it were. He says, if you have been rebellious against the Lord while I'm still alive and with you, how much more will you rebel after I die? He, he tries to remind them of the law to say, keep following God, even though I'm not going to be there to pastor you and shepherd you through it. He's reminding them of God's goodness and the framework that God has given them. And yet, he knows that that framework will likely also condemn them, will show them of their failings time and time again. So, uh, before we pivot to the New Testament, uh, what's happening in these laws, how might we understand them? First and foremost, they are a reminder of God's holiness. But as we looked at the different categories, um, the laws teach Israel what is good and righteous in the moral laws. Uh, They restrain sin and maintain justice and then thirdly, uh, those laws shape them in devotion as dirt creatures called to devote themselves to the Holy God who has devoted Himself to them. So, as Christians, how might we understand these laws? Which of them apply? Tell me which of the 613 I should do? Well, I will tell you about that in a moment. It would be easy, for example, to say uh, the civil laws are irrelevant because we don't live in ancient Israel on the other side of the world anymore. Uh, We we don't have kind of the same kinds of customs or even framework for governing the orderliness of society. And so therefore, it's kind of just appropriate that we just discard the civil laws. It would kind of feel appropriate also to say, well, the ritual laws are not relevant anymore because Christ, as we learn about in Hebrews, is our once and for all sacrifice who purifies us and consecrates us. And maybe the moral laws, Uh, maybe they're still good, right? Maybe? Well, as I said, this is not how the New Testament looks at the law. The categories that I gave you to help sort of group these together is not how the law understands itself, it's not how Jesus refers to the law. So then how shall we understand the law, this side of Jesus? Let's look at a couple of uh, ways the New Testament does look back at the law. Firstly, the law is good, is what Paul says in Romans 7. Uh, It's very easy for us to go, law, bad, grace, good, yeah? Uh, But that's, again, not how Jesus or Paul looks at it. He looks at, they look at the law and they see the goodness of it. They also see how it shows us our sin. Just like last week, uh, I talked about how how God is after their heart and actually even disciplined them uh, so that uh, it might expose for them what's happening in their heart. In the same way, the law shows us, reveals us our sin, Uh, Secondly, the law has wisdom in it. So for instance, even Moses says in Deuteronomy 4, um, See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering and take possession of it. Observe them carefully. This will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations. As they obey God, uh, they will find God's wisdom for them. And so we can look back at the Old Testament and find wisdom in it. Thirdly, it acted as like a guardian and so Galatians 3.28 will refer to, uh, let me just look that up actually, that would be helpful for us to, uh, to look at, uh, Galatians, I should have found this, Galatians 3.28, all right, um, oh 24, sorry, 3.24, uh, the law then was our guardian until Christ so that we could be justified by faith. What's this idea of guardian? Uh, it was kind of a way of, of kind of not only restraining sin, uh, but kind of keeping them on sort of like rails, as it were, until all that the law pointed towards would, would be completed. Uh, until faith, until people were justified by faith, is what Paul says in Galatians. It's kind of like, you know, when you go bowling, uh, if you're like me and you want to try and keep up with the kids, you'll, put, you'll, you'll try and put the bumpers on and um, get too excited and they always end up in the gutter. Uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's like uh, the law was kind of uh, bowling with the bumpers on to try and, to try and guard, guard, be a guardian to them, to guide them towards that which was good. The problem, of course, is when you show up to the bowling lane and you don't even care and you just sort of launch the ball across three lanes or into the roof, there's plenty of TikTok videos actually do that, um, or if you just don't even show up to the bowling because you don't even care. Uh, that, that's, so, so the, guard, the, the law as a guardian only makes sense if you actually lean into it, if you want what the law wants. Ultimately, Romans 8, Paul says the law was powerless to change us, it only had power to condemn because the Lord just sits there, it says do not and do this and we find that as Paul reflects on Romans 7, I I, I did not do what I ought to do and I do what I ought not to do. It condemns us, it doesn't actually fix us, it points to the good and shows our inability to get to it and in that way it points to our need for Jesus, the only one who was and is righteous. So, Let me ask the question again, what laws apply to Christians? How are we to understand the Old Testament? Let me answer that provocatively. None of it and all of it. Hmm. It's annoying when Christians do that, isn't it? Um, Jesus says in Matthew 5, and you'll know it well perhaps, he says, don't think that I came to abolish the law and the prophets, we think that jesus came in and just rips out the old testament says all right the old is out the new is in yeah but he says do not think that i came to abolish the law or the prophets i did not come to abolish but to fulfill that's a different kind of word for i for truly i tell you until heaven and earth pass away not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished and so it looks like the whole Old Testament is still in play, as he says that, right? Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do so will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless, the right, if, unless your righteousness, which the law pointed towards, surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven." So therefore, Jesus is saying that the Old Testament law is not being abolished, and for all the righteousness that it pointed towards and tried to guard against, unless you perfect the righteousness that it calls to, and the laws and the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you know, as they sought to do that, unless you surpass them, you've got buckleys of getting into heaven. It's not quite the grace we imagined, right? Except... Look at the way Jesus uses the word, fulfill. For he did not come to abolish, to rip it out, but came to fulfill. See, what Jesus did is he came as the righteous one of God, the one the law was pointing to, and fulfilled that whole Old Testament law, and says, follow me. He fulfills the whole law and says, if you want that righteousness, follow me, and I will disciple you. I will teach you. I will give you my spirit, work within. I will transform you from the inside out so that you will live out your devotion to God as I devote myself to you." And at that point we're no longer talking about just the cold law, the letter of the law saying do this and don't do that, we now have the Living One of God dwelling among us, teaching us and guiding us and, how he describes it, discipling us. And what blows my mind is thinking about how, for all of the holiness, if we were to go back to kind of a couple of slides, for all the holiness of God, and how someone who is unclean cannot come anywhere near God, and you've got to go through the rituals to become clean again, and even then you've got to be consecrated to sort of be drawn into the holiness of God. The Holy One of God comes in Jesus, and how does John 1 put it? And tabernacles among us. God's holy presence now is among us. And it's like Jesus systematically goes through all the things of Leviticus 11 to 15, all the things that make you unclean, He touches dead bodies, Uh, He touches a a, a woman leaking menstrual blood, He he touches people with skin diseases, He goes into the homes of non-Israelites who would have been eating non-kosher food, He does all the things that Leviticus 11 says, that will make you unclean, but His holy, like contagious holiness Actually, infects people the other way, yeah? So, as dirt people, as common people, uh, we, are, we are constantly unclean in all kinds of ways and it's good for us to be reminded of that in, in whatever formational practices we have. But the problem is that that prohibits us being in the presence of a holy God until Jesus, the righteous one, the one who fulfilled the Old Testament law, dwells among us and makes us holy by His presence, by His mercy, by His love. And this is so radically new in the way Jesus both fulfills the old covenant and brings unprecedented access to God that it's called a new covenant. (laughs) For the old has gone and the new has come. It's like new grapes into old wineskins, it it bursts through. And Jesus sums it all up in, in loving God and loving your neighbor. But he puts flesh on that in the way that he dies for his enemies and calls us to love likewise. He teaches the disciples, you've heard it said, but let me show to you. He calls us into a radical path of obedience and following God, all the while being forgiven and made clean. Brothers and sisters, you are no longer under law, as Paul will say, for Christ is the end of the law, so that there might be righteousness for everyone who believes. That's Romans 10. We are now brought into a right standing before God. We are taught to live rightly as righteous people as we follow Jesus. And so as we finish up, and I might have time for a couple of questions... Uh, if, um, If there's still more questions, use the QR codes and I'll respond to you during the week. Christians don't pick and choose what Old Testament laws to follow. We follow Jesus who fulfilled it all. For Jesus is the resolution and the climax of the problem of how a holy God who devotes himself to an unclean people might work. I want us to see the beauty of the law. Not just kind of like, oh my goodness, I can't believe I had to do all that out of God's love for them, He gave them the law to guide them, to teach them, to form them. I want you to see the intricacy of the the sacrifices and the drama that was required to kind of resolve the tension of a holy God and an unclean people, but how, how it ultimately showed them and us that we have all fallen short of the glory of God. And now we are brought into an unprecedented peace and presence with God, with a holy God, because of Jesus. Might we see just how far God has gone for us to bring us to Himself and the freedoms He has won for us because we are no longer bound to external laws, as it were, but following Christ and listening to Him. For you will know that, I, that you love me if you obey what I say, Jesus says in John out of the freedoms that we now have living in relationship with Jesus, how might we use that to serve others like Christ served us? How might we use that freedom to willingly obey Christ, to listen to His teachings, and to put into practice? And how might we use the freedoms He has won for us to love God and love our neighbour? Brothers and sisters... Jesus really does call us to follow Him. Will we listen and devote ourselves to Him as He has devoted Himself to us? Let me pray. Father, we thank You for Your grace shown to us, uh, that despite You giving us uh, the law to guide us and, and shape us, We were only condemned by it, but you in your wisdom, in your mercy and grace and justice, made a way in Christ. May he be large in our vision, in our life, as we follow him, and in so doing, being brought into a righteousness with you, Father, may we make that known to the world around us. May they see the wisdom and the life and the forgiveness that is an offer in Christ as we live for him. Amen.